0: Greetings to listeners all around the world. Welcome to Safe Dividend Investing's podcast number 153 on February 1st of 2024. My name is Ian Duncan MacDonald. In today's podcast, which is coming to you from sunny, warm island of St. Kitts in the Caribbean, I'll be answering two questions. Every day, I hear from readers of my books and listeners to my podcast. They keep me current with what is now of concern to investors. Questions should be addressed to Ian Duncan Macdonald at hotmail.com. If a company can hide its debt in calculating book value, wouldn't free cash flow growth and total debt growth give a better picture of a company's health. Getting an accurate picture of a company's health can be complicated. Companies pay auditors. Large public companies expect rightly or wrongly that the auditor will present the company's financial results in the best possible light. The auditors recognize that they might not get next year's lucrative audit If they do not do their best to make the company look good, this would include calculating the company's book value. The auditor is faced with the ethical challenge of maintaining a delicate balance between distorting results in favor of a company and providing an accurate audit for investors in the company. Well, audits have become much more reliable after the Enron bankruptcy and scandal in 2001, the largest bankruptcy up to that time, this delicate relationship still exists. Enron resulted in the U.S. Congress passing the Public Company Accounting Reform and Investor Protection Act of 2002, now known as the Sarbanese Oxley Act, and in the establishment of the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board. Audits of American public companies are now subject to government oversight. Companies are now prohibited from having the close relationships that had existed between Enron and their auditor, Arthur Anderson. Similar laws were passed in other countries. Arthur Anderson was charged with obstruction in the Enron investigation. This was a blow to its reputation. They never recovered from it. About 28,000 of their employees lost their jobs. They stopped auditing public companies. 21,000 employees at Enron also lost their jobs with the bankruptcy. 21 Enron executives went to jail for concealing fraudulent transactions. It is a tale of greed. Enron had been a Texas energy broker trading electricity and other commodities. It would enter into one contract with an energy seller and a different contract with an energy buyer. Profits were made on the secretive differences between the selling price and the buying price. To further grow profits, third-party partnerships were formed that allowed Enron managers to move losses and debits off the Enron books. This fraud resulted in greatly inflated profits. The stock soared in the stock market on the reporting of profits. Enron executives made millions cashing in their stock option bonuses. Profits were put ahead of ethics. Arthur Anderson was benefiting from Enron business practices. They realized income of $26 million coming from consulting services in addition to the $26 million realized from their auditing work each year. The two companies were so intertwined that Arthur Anderson had permanent audit space at the Enron headquarters. They were regarded as Enron employees. Based on this history of what happens when millions of dollars are in play means despite the safeguards put in place after Enron, you still must recognize that financial figures are still open to interpretation. I do not see that free cash flow growth and total debit growth as being any better at measuring financial health than a comparison between a company's audited book value and its current share price. Unlike gathering cash flow and debt growth, the book value and share price data are quick and easy to find. Just comparing those two figures is more of a financial analysis than the typical investor considers. Most investors look at no financial information before they purchase a stock. They usually buy because of media hype and unverified tips. The objective of my books and podcasts is to get investors to not only look at financial information, but to calculate a stock risk score. If you make it difficult to analyze a stock, the typical investor would be not bothered in doing it. The subscore for the price-to-book value is only one subscore out of 11. Other subscores that are used to calculate the total composite score. To thoroughly analyze the degree of financial risk involved in a company would require days of effort. It would not only involve reviewing the company's accounting records, but interviewing the company executives, their bankers, their suppliers, and their customers. Even with all that effort, there would still be no guarantee that your picture of the company's risk was accurate. It would only be a historical image that can change within hours and still be open to interpretation. I think and 11 facts that are gathered in my stock scoring system provide a reasonable picture of the risk in a stock. A stock with zero risk does not exist. All you are doing in scoring is trying to reasonably sort the stocks from the most to the least desirable. Question number two. Why should investors in funds always read the Fund's prospectus. A mutual fund, or an ETF, is a vehicle for making banks and bank investment advisors and fund management companies rich. They all want a cut of the money you will invest in their fund. There are thousands of mutual funds and ETFs to choose from. At best, you will never have more than a vague idea of how much of your money they are siphoning from the fund to put in their pockets. Whether you will make a profit from investing in any fund depends on circumstances and timing that are beyond their and your control. Since investors take losses in their fund portfolios very seriously, they are prone to sue those who they feel are responsible for their loss. Therefore, to make your money without looking like thieves, the funds hire lawyers who are paid to ensure that every fund purchaser has been warned about the transfer of money from your pocket to the fund's pocket. The lawyers carefully reveal the uncertainty of a financial return in such a way that you will ignore this warning. Their financial return for the fund management and company and its sales team is assured. After all, it isn't their money that is at risk. It is your money. They will take their percentage every year from the fund you purchase, whether it has made money or lost money. The indemnity information is hidden in the small print in a prospectus or literature you might see on a fund. It is not the first thing you will read in their promotional literature, but it is always there. Do not expect those who are about to take your money to force you to take the time to read their warnings or interpret what you are reading. They prefer that you not read it because you might ask some hard questions that can get in the way of closing their sale of the fund to you. For example, I looked at the small print for what is promoted as being the best ETF available. I read, commissions, trading commissions, management fees, brokerage fees, and expenses may be associated with investments. And mutual funds and ETFs. Please read the mutual fund or ETF prospectus, which contains detailed investment information before investing. They add the extra step of you having to make the effort to go and read the prospectus with the expectation that you will not be so bothered. However, they can now say, You were warned. They really want you to give them your blind faith in what they are selling you. They do not want to handle your objections to their fees, commissions, and expenses. Yet, you are conversing with a salesman, or should we call him your financial advisor, who should, if pressed, explain any money that will be withdrawn from your investment. This individual is paid to make sales, not encourage questions. You can also find the avoidance of explaining fully the facts about the fund in a statement like the following. The indicated rates of return are historical, annual, compounded total returns for the period indicated, including changes in unit value and reinvestment distributions and do not take into account any charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. By not asking for an explanation of this legalese gobbledygook, you are agreeing to accept whatever return you get from the investment, including any charges that the fund company incurs and passes on to you. You will never be aware of how much of your money is being siphoned off. Hidden in the middle of their literature, you may find a statement like the following, mutual funds and ETFs are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently. Past performance may not be repeated. All you have heard from your investment advisor is that investing in this fund is the smartest thing you have ever done. Based on its history, this fund will certainly continue to increase by several multiples. It will easily provide you with a safe, generous income for the rest of your life when you retire. You are also unlikely to have a discussion with your advisor about the following, which is about as clear as mud. A return of capital reduces investors' adjusted cost base. Capital gains taxes are deferred until units are sold or until the ACB goes below zero. Investors should not confuse their cash flow distribution with a fund's rate of return or yield. While investors in this fund will be able to defer some personal capital gains, they must still pay tax on capital gains to distributions that arise in the sale of individual holdings by fund managers and on interest and dividend distributions. All you can probably comprehend is do not try to figure out where any gains or income you receive from this fund were derived from, because you have no control over what the fund manager is doing with your money. While you might not choose to sell a stock and incur additional capital gains tax, you have given the fund manager the freedom to do whatever he wishes with your money. Furthermore, the money you may now be receiving may just be a deduction from some of the money you previously invested. Diversifying your investments is recognized as a smart investment strategy. Every prospectus contains a promotional trigger that is meant to impress you with the quality and diversity of the stocks in this portfolio. The fund identifies the top 10 holdings in the fund. To impress you with their diversity, your fund may contain hundreds of stocks. However, you're only going to be told about the top 10 stock holdings. They're usually well-known blue-chip stocks. These 10, may each represent only 3% of the portfolio's value, or together, 30%. The remaining hundreds of stocks in your funds could be meaningless fractions of 1% each. To protect themselves, the fund's legalese states that these top 10 are presented to illustrate examples of the securities that the fund has brought and the diversity of the areas in which the fund may invest, may not be representative of the fund's current or future investments, and may change at any time. Depository receipts, credit default swaps, and equity total return swaps are normally combined with the underlying security. What this is saying is that even identifying the top 10 stocks in the fund is meaningless because you have given them the ability to make any changes they wish to make to the fund at any time. You really do not have any idea what you are investing in. Why do people invest blindly in funds? Are they overwhelmed by the sales spiel? Do they not take investing seriously? Do they really believe that like a priest, that all financial advisors have a calling to only act in the client's best interests? Why do most advisors think you are incapable of learning how easy it is to choose the best, safest stocks for your portfolio? Are they so sure that they will fail at managing their portfolios that investors need someone to blame other than themselves? It only takes a few minutes to show someone how to find and acquire 20 financially strong long-established companies paying high dividends. This 20 is more than enough diversity in a portfolio. There aren't a hundred stocks that I would add to a portfolio. Such a portfolio can provide you with a reliable income to live on or income to further invest into your growing portfolio. Before you invest in any fund, first explore Becoming a self directed investor, managing your own portfolio. It can not only save you hundreds of thousands of dollars in fees, commissions, and charges over a lifetime, but allow you to sleep soundly at night, knowing exactly what you are invested in and why you are invested in it. Thanks for listening. If you wish more information on investing and stock scoring, please visit my website www.saferbetterdividendinvesting.com.